Much older since I last saw you. Way, way older. Officially <laughs> over the hill older. So what does it feel like to be the new 30? <laughs> well, uh, I have a bit... Uh, let's see, 30... How farcical is that, just by the way? 40 is the new 30. What a <laughs> ladder. 40 is 40, people. It's still 40. Gosh. <laughs> you know what? I sometimes think that that sort of stuff is just an excuse for people who go... It's really taking me 10 years longer to get my shit together than I thought it would. <laughs> so. Yes. Uh, no. I, no. <laughs> uh, it feels good. It feels fine. I have less debt than I used to. Uh, my children are 10 years closer to getting out of my house. Mm. Uh, you know, that's all good. It's all good. They're in a position nearly where they can support you. Mm. If only. If only. <laughs> but no, we've got one going off to high school next week. Yes. And the other one only you know, a year behind. So it's all it's all happening very fast and it's all very exciting. And I had a good, fun birthday and, yeah, it's bouncing along, mate. Bouncing along is a good thing. We're in the same position kid-wise in that up in the place where, you know, Malcolm Roberts comes from. Um, <laughs> yes. <sighs> depresses me, that guy, so badly. <laughs> uh, all of the state schools went back you know, this week for us. So they all were back at school Monday or Tuesday, there for a couple of days, have the Australian Day holiday, go back to school kids, fully sucked in. Um, but my mob don't start until the coming Monday as well. Ah, right. So we're in a, a, a weird position where my wife works for the school that the kids go to as a, as a teacher's aide a few days a week. And she has to be at work today. <laughs> Um, so it sucks to be her. I was going to say, our households are remarkably similar because, yes, uh, my wife is a teacher, so she too is at work doing the hard yards while yeah. uh, the kids are not so much. Yeah, oh, that's exactly it. I've put them under threat of violence. Um, <laughs> but no, and the violence is no Wi Fi. Um, <laughs> That'll get them. If they don't behave while we're having this conversation. Uh, but it's been, it's kind of felt like. And because I'm not working from home anymore, I don't feel the pressure as much. I'll say that straight out. I always talk to Michelle, my wife, at the end of the holiday break, and she goes, oh, the kids have just been on holiday too long, and we just need to, they need to get back, and they were unsettled and all of those, get into a routine again, as much as we keep a routine at home. And I'm like, sure, darling, bye, I'm going to work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But even just spending today with them as stay-at-home working dad, which is a weird thing because it's the day after a public holiday and I'm supposed to be working, but I have written an article. I have done some things. Um, it's just like, yeah, you guys need to not be in this house. You need oh. to be at school in uniform. Yep. Because I, I work from home as well. And so the, there is very much a case by the end, especially of the Christmas mm. holidays of, oh, just, just go just anywhere, anywhere we're here because like there are days when I'm busy, and when I'm really busy, I'm out of the house, and so it doesn't yep. matter. Um, but what what really suffers is those sort of little jobs that get they're not urgent, so they get pushed off to the edge and that sort of stuff. Mm. And when there are other people in the house, like they just don't happen. They don't get done at all because there's always just something else to insert yourself into or take care of or be reason to not by. do it. Yeah, so there's a backlog of stuff that will uh, start rolling on from next week when the, when the kids are back in school. So that'll be good. See, I've got an ace in the hole on you. When I was busy in my mm. last job, I was in another country. Um, so I was Isn't like, I was not even in the loop. But new job has me, <laughs> <laughs> um, new job has me at, at home a bit, although there is some travel coming up, but it's mostly, um, you know, Queensland-based travel. So it'll be little bits of stuff here and there and day trips or overnighters and that kind of thing. So I'll I'll still get to engage with my, my kids. And, and, and in that way, I've been really lucky because I've been able to, you know, every year for their first day at school, I've been able to be there to drop them off. Oh, that's cool. Um, and, you know, with the eldest, you know, a young man entering high school this year, that I, I'd expect that will be fairly like, bye, Dad, see ya. Um, but it has to happen. 
You know, it's mm. it's a thing now, even right through until grade 12 for both of them, whether they like it or not. In fact, probably the grade 9 and 10 ones will be the most awkward because I'll be making a big show of, come here and give us a hug. Come on. <laughs> You're a great dad. I, I, my, my plan for next uh, Monday is to, to just Google up the, the high school start times to find out, you know, where the girl goes. <laughs> to make sure that you've got it right. No, go to Google Maps and find out how long it takes to walk from our house to there. <laughs> and about two minutes before he needs to start, go, See you're leaving? <laughs> Come on, you better go. Yeah, get out of my house. <laughs> independence. Kids need more independence. I, I, look, partly it's, I think, where we live relative to where our kids' friends live. But mm. I, mean, I grew up in a little country town, so you know, from the time I was... Well, I got my first bike, like proper bike, when I was five. Yeah. And it didn't take long until I would use that to sort of ride into town and ride it to friends' places. Mm. And and my best friend growing up lived on the other side of, of Inverell, across the river, which meant you had to ride through town and across the big bridge and all this sort of stuff. And I was doing that well and truly by the time I was I was eight. Yeah. Uh, it, to see my son, who's about to turn... 13, and the, the, the suggestion of, we well, you should ride your bike to your mate's place. It's just like, oh, really? Oh, but there's no bike path. They're like, there's a road. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I hear that, right? Like, I, I reflect, I, I was in Dubbo recently with my dad, and we drove past our old house and, you know, drove the path that my mum walked me to school for three years. Uh, and I, you know, by the time I was in grade one, maybe even grade two, I walked home by myself. It wasn't yeah. a big deal. Like, no. I just did it. It was only two or three blocks away, but it was after school, the height of, you know, no strange, the stranger danger wasn't a thing. There were no safe houses, um, like neighborhood watch stuff. Um, <laughs> safe houses were a thing when I was at school, and we would get talks about them every year, and it used to really disturb me that there was not a single safe house between school <laughs> and my home. And so I perfectly had this idea that if something went wrong, that was it. I was done for because there was no safe houses. <laughs> you Forget and Chelsea it. Manning. <laughs> yeah, that's by design too, Dave. You know that that was the intention, right? Maybe we can get rid of this kid. Oh, yeah. It was so... But, but I was yeah. riding to school from, from out near the hospital when I was in Dolby. At grade, what was that? Three, four and five? Yeah. Like riding into school, into town. We crossed train tracks, a major road... Uh, drove through the main st- road through the main street of town, just to get to school. It was all are right. We, are we just crazy as parents? Because like, the world is statistically speaking a far safer place today mm. than it ever was when when we were kids. You know, like you know, thirty plus years ago, like it, it's safer. Like even like the roads are safer. They have you know bike lanes and like, yep. like there was none of that sort of rubbish when we were kids it was just like pull over as far as you can into the gutter and hope that the nice truck driver leaves you some room <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you know, we mostly survived like yeah i i think it's more a fact it's a blight on our parents that they were far more irresponsible than we were <laughs> you know just sort of and this is also pre-mandatory helmet laws in queensland yeah. oh in new south wales too i I actually had to ask my parents to buy me a helmet after, you know, getting a, one of the, the safety uh, people come along at school and give us the, the big rah-rah about it. And my parents like, really? You sure you want one? I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, up, son. What are you, some kind of girl? <laughs> just, I just hadn't thought about it. It's was like, oh, I guess so. Yeah, it's fine. Sure. <laughs> Great. Stack hats. Well, I only had I only had one stack hat. My first one was this, was, was this actually really flash helmet that they got from... Um, from the bike shop uh, and the the guy who ran that um, had been a professional cyclist and oh, was, ah, yeah. was very very involved in uh, like back actually it's probably still a thing but it was a very very big thing back then the, the Grafton to Inverell cycle race like it's a one day you're going uh, up over the Gibraltar range big mm. hills it's, um, and and they used to get a lot of international cyclists in there I think like it just sort of dropped into the calendar nicely that international cyclists could come out. It was a good time of year of them. Didn't um, clash with anything bigger. So cycling was sort of a, a big thing for at least a portion of Inverell. Actually, uh, uh, Heinrich Hausler, who's been in the Tour de France. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah no, he's, he's from he's from Inverell. He was a couple of years below me at school. Mm. Um, anyway, so you know, Dad, Mum and Dad went down and bought a helmet from there, from the bike shop, rather than from... 
well, we didn't have Kmart or anything like that, but it's from Fossies or Coles. <laughs> yeah. God, what did we have? I mean, it was, so instead of the stack out, I got this you know, flash French looking thing that nice. I guess was pretty cool, but everyone else had a stack hat. So even though, like, objectively, this helmet was nicer and better, because it wasn't what everyone else had, it was just like, <laughs> God, I wish I had a stack hat. <laughs> oh, God. I had a first generation safety yellow stack hat because back then they only came in yellow and yes. white. And it was, it was like a, almost a precursor to a cricket helmet. Um, mm. Yeah. It just was this thing that you shoved your head into and it, it gave you the fringe of a 1950s woman. Um, and, and not, not only that, it would give you a big red bite mark underneath your, your, oh, underneath yeah. your chin on your neck where, where the, uh, the clip would like always Vicious. <laughs> grab the skin there. Oh, yeah, no, that never did up well. And yeah, always. Like, I'm sure we could probably solve a whole bunch of crimes just by collecting <laughs> all of the stack hats that remain in existence and just getting some DNA specialist to swab the clip. <laughs> We would probably find out what happened to the Snowtown murders. We'd find out who stole those kids from Adelaide. <laughs> We'd just be checking off. Yeah, yep, that sounds about right. Yep, yep. We'd probably oh, yeah. find out Malcolm Roberts did something dastardly too. Oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. <laughs> now, you went away, Dave. At the end of our last chat, you I were did. hooking the van up to the car. Was yep. this all part of the grand celebration of Gork Roger? It, it was, because... Uh, as we've alluded to, I didn't grow up in Albury. I grew up in a smaller town in uh, northern New South Wales. And so uh, a lot of my God friends... God bless inbreeding. <laughs> a lot of my friends... Actually, no, we imported my, my mother from... Uh, actually, from this end of the state. Great. Uh, yes. Your dad went courting in Canberra. Oh. Found a girl from down south. Uh, anyway, so a lot of my friends are still up that way. And then we've got people who live in Sydney, some in the central west. And I thought, look... Rather than trying to get everyone to come down to Albury, which is you know a pretty big ask, especially from some of the people up north, uh, we'll go and do something in Mudgee instead. Because a bunch mm. of us, well, uh, one of my friends um, who moved around a fair bit did spend a few years in Mudgee. And so for a couple of years, that became the spot where we would all head once a year for Mudgee Wine Week. And we'd have a, a, a big weekend there with a whole bunch of us. And so I thought, well... That's still as good a spot as any. So we hooked up the van and uh, off we went. It was the, the the first trip with the new van. I, did I tell you about the, why we have a new van? No, this sounds ominous. <laughs> well, we decided last year that we really wanted to uh, do a, a trip to Central Australia. Nice. And, and uh, we decided we would get a caravan to do that. Like, we... we we figured a camper trail or that sort of stuff would be too much mucking around. We, we would have a lot of days where we'd be just doing travel legs and a caravan. Yeah, who wants to set up a tent? Yeah, exactly. So a caravan seemed like a quicker and better option. And we didn't want to spend too much money just in case we hated caravanning. So we found a 1979 Viscount oh, Pop Top. Beautiful. It was gorgeous. It had bunks at the front for the kids, mm. you know, a little bed down the back and, you know, Little pop top. Now the thing with the, those that era of uh, pop top vans, like the the lid didn't go all the way to the sides of the van. It was like a little island in the middle of the roof. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and so because of that, when you strapped the roof down when you were travelling, uh, all the handles that strapped it down were on the inside. Yep. So we'd been out to. Hang on, to, inside the caravan? Yeah, inside the van. Like, like they hold down the inside of the roof. Okay? So you have to employ a hobbit to get in and latch the thing down. <laughs> I'm not that tall. It's not that hard. Well, I did bang my head a few times. But, so, yeah, so that's how it works. All the, cl- the clips that, that hold the lid down are on the inside. So we'd, uh, we, we'd you know, gone from here across to South Australia, uh, stayed at a few nice places, uh, up to Yalara for a few days to see Uluru and Katajuta, then across to Kings Canyon, Nice. And, the pl- and the plan was we were going to head back south and then cut across and, and do some of, uh, like, northwest New South Wales. Like we wanted to go up and see uh, uh, Broken Hill and a few places around there. Yeah, of course. So on the day driving from Kings Canyon back to Coober Pedy, uh, big, big day, lo- long drive. Yeah. We're, we're cruising along, and this was on the, the back of all those storms in South Australia that uh, caused the blackouts and everything. Yeah, so we're blackout talking, storms. So we're talking... Windy days, 40-year-old caravan. Oh, no. And at one stage, uh, a couple of road trains came past in the opposite direction. Oh, no. And a bit later, uh, 
Rupert turns around and goes, Dad, I think there's something stuck on the caravan. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? He goes, there's something flapping on the roof. And as he said it, I just, I just knew straight away that there was nothing stuck on the caravan. There is no roof. No, there was no roof. The, oh. the lid just peeled right off. Oh. <laughs> and, and the cliffs were still on their nice... Stu- they, they were there safe and sound. <laughs> the, the interior of the caravan roof was still there. The oh. exterior of it, who knows? It is oh. probably somewhere still uh, near an opal mine in Cooper <gasps> By now, it's probably been turned into something useful. Uh, <laughs> I've just put two and two together, Dave. It's the yeah. lid of your caravan that caused the South Australian blackouts. <laughs> no, it's uh, hit a no, high voltage power transmission <laughs> wire and all of a sudden it's given Christopher Pine a reason to just be rude to the South Australian government. I do know that's not true because Coopedia was actually about the only place in South Australia that had power that <laughs> that's night. That's right. Because they're on diesel generators. Yeah. They're, not, they're not on the main line. Uh, yeah, so that pretty much cut our our holiday short and we, we, we bought a whole bunch of tarpaulins and we just you know taped and strapped and tied the thing down and then just put our heads down and drove home as fast oh. as we could over the next three days. So Tell because tra- of that, <laughs> but we what did you a do? New caravan. Uh, hang on, hang on. So we've tarped down the. the how, where did you stay in the days <laughs> that you didn't get home? <laughs> we just post accident. We we had to stay in um, in motels, which was also oh, a bit difficult. Given that's that an it, adventure. Well, it was a long weekend, so actually oh. getting somewhere was pretty difficult. <laughs> oh, and then gosh. having to go. By the way, do you have enough room for us to put our caravan there? <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, starts another awkward conversation of why do you want to stay here if you have a caravan? Well, yeah. so after yeah. all of that, um, yeah, we we decided that we did enjoy caravanning and we wanted Good. to do some more of it. Yes, um, and we decided that investing in another nineteen seventy nine pop tops <laughs> probably was 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 just asking for trouble. Mm. Uh, so. We spent a few dollars more and, and bought something a little bit more modern and a little bit bigger. And, and the trip to Mudgee was our our, uh, our maiden voyage in it. And it, it, everything went very, very well, which was nice. Good. How uh, modern, how new, like how fandangled are we talking about now? Uh, it's like, it's a 2009 fan. <gasps> so it has uh, electricity inside it. It does. It, oh, the Viscount did. Actually, the Vi- this is the sad thing about the Viscount. Like we got it in, I think it was April. Uh, yeah. And we didn't go away till October. And so I spent all those months in between adding in all these little features and modernising it mm. and customising it. And all that. Like, it was a great hobby. And that's all gone. <laughs> all <laughs> no. gone. Oh. Um, whereas the new one, the new one's great, but it doesn't need anything done to it. Like, it's got, like all the stuff that I put in as, as additions to the old van, they're in, they're in like new vans today. Like, they've mm. all got pumps and battery backup systems and all this sort of stuff and so uh it did nothing but it's good it's like same layout as our old one it's got some bunks at the front for the kids bed up the back for us and it fits in you know, see it, it's narrow enough to get through our front gate the pop top means it's low enough to get under the carport so we can good. store it in the backyard yep and uh everyone's happy yeah so did you ever do much caravanning or anything like that as a kid? I mean, you were already on the coast, but... Yeah, well, we did... did you ever go on road trip holidays? I think caravans were either deemed to be um, too expensive or why do we need a caravan when we've got all these tents? Mm-hmm. Um, my... Uh, it's kind of crazy to think about it now. Uh, my father uh, was one of eight kids and their family holidays involved camping in this big look 10 by 10 i guess square yep. canvas tent yep um they, that they, was they were basically on an expedition oh yeah that's it like the where they went they saw burke and wills um yeah so this huge big canvas thing dad inherited it and continued to patch it because it seriously was it like noah brought it off the ark this thing was ancient uh and so our, our holidays. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure a tent that like once held ten people is going to be perfect when there's now only what six of six you. of us. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Um, but but it got it got even better than that. And this is going to lead me to another question I had when you were talking. Um, so we did lots of great things. We did when we moved from Dolby to the Sunshine Coast back in uh, 1985, 1986, summer Christmas. We did a big camping expedition mm-hmm. up to Cairns. And yep. saw the reef and did all of that. I think that took about three or four weeks. No, the, the majority. Yeah, that, was the, 
The expedition where you couldn't play your ColecoVision. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ripped off. Um, so, but a fair chunk of that was in Canvas. Mm-hmm. And it always frustrated me then because because we settled into Scouts and stuff and all of that is all about camping. There's no caravans in Scouts. No. Except the first aid caravan, maybe. Um, uh, like, for then, when Mum and Dad, let's go away for the weekend. Oh, camping again. Um, <laughs> but Fraser Island became the focus of our trips, really, oh, nice. at that point. Uh, and so Dad had a short wheelbase land cruiser. He had a trailer that he bought specifically that he jacked up. Um, and uh, like be- it became the it he worked at exactly how to pack everything into that. So we've got mum and dad in the front of the short ba- the short wheelbase Land Cruiser. He converted the back so that there were these sideways bench seats, oh, like yes. over the wheel arches. Yep, yep. for the like four a, of us kids to sit on. No like seatbelts. A mini troopy. Yeah, yeah, a mini yeah. troop carrier. No yep. seatbelts. I don't know how at all it was legal. <laughs> We had, I guess he worked it out because he then packed, we all had our pillows and he packed the soft bags in between us so that if there was an accident, we landed on them instead of each other. And we were behind the seats. So, you know, we would have bounced into the seats and not mum and dad's heads. Um, So that was all of that. But when we went camping, we had this big tent that was the main tent. And because at that time my sisters were young enough, what happened was, Mum and Dad had this big blow-up air mattress that they slept on. The trailer got pushed into the tent. Oh, God. And, and the girls slept in that. Um, in that their sleep... So they slept sort of at this weird 35-degree head-up, feet-down <laughs> angle. That They eventually graduated to, to things. But when they were little, that was just the easiest way to corral them both. And my brother and I got put up in a little four-man pyramid tent outside that then connected up to this big annex that Dad had made out of tarps and... He'd sealed holes and all sorts of crazy stuff. So we had... It was an amazing tenting setup. It took literally seven hours to get the whole oh thing up and running. God. But, yeah. So camping, camping, schmamping. Yeah. But it wasn't until That's I grew good. up and became old enough that I realised, look, camping's great and relaxing and all those sorts of things. But when you've got kids sleeping in the same tent slash room as you, there's no opportunity for some adult, quiet, intimate times. Not unless you're very good at sending them off on very long errands. <laughs> well, that be- it becomes a, a holiday is a daytime sexy times. <laughs> exactly. Because you can't send uh, your kids out at 10 o'clock at night who are in bunk beds at the other end of the nope. caravan. Hey, can you go and get us some fish and chips from that place down on the beach that we saw that is an hour's walk away? No, it's all about afternoon delight. <laughs> <laughs> See, we were always a, a, a caravanning family from when I was very young. Mm. Uh, and uh, we, like we would head across to Yamba, that was the the regular spot where we went, and it seemed that half of Inverell would always also be over there. Yes, uh, to, to the point where not only did we go to the same park every year, we pretty much had the same site in yep. the park every Classic. year. It was nice and close to the boat ramp because you know Dad mm. had the boat as well. So he'd get someone else to you know, drag his boat over while he was you know, pulling over the caravan and. Uh, and 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 we had you know friends from back home who again also had their regular spots in the yes. park. Uh, so we we did a, a a lot of caravanning, and then uh, the we did a big trip um, when I was about five, four or five. We we spent uh, a week or so at the Gold Coast. Yeah, oh, uh, but but that was in a van that was so small that there was actually no room for me to sleep inside. <laughs> now at that stage, I'm still an only child. Please tell me you slept underneath. Please tell me you slept underneath the caravan. Close it up. No, no I slept in the annex yes. on this old Hessian stretcher. Yep, perfect. Um, and uh, it, 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 oh, it seemed to make sense to me. It's like, oh, this is, this is your spot. I'm like, oh, he looked around and went, oh, this is almost as big as the rest of the van. So I guess, I'm, you know, if you're just thinking volume, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well off out here. That's but, how uh, camping works. Look at yeah. my big room. Uh, but of course, uh, it meant I need to ne- meant to uh, it meant I needed to sleep with a mozzie coil because otherwise I would get absolutely eaten alive. Yeah, mum and dad um, could shut the screen door at night. Dave, you're right out there. Yeah. yeah, and and we also took I don't know if we, I think we took a, a slightly larger van a year or so later when we went up to uh, we went up to the Whit Sundays. Oh, yeah, um, love it, love it. And uh, we stayed at Shoot Harbour for a mm. fair while, and and went out. And again, we'd taken our own boat, so we took that out to all to see around all the islands and that yep. sort of stuff. And yeah, back to oh, the wow. back to the van. 
We, I'd love to do that in my own boat. That's amazing. Yeah, it was cool. It was it was pretty cool. The although one of my biggest um, memories of that was being absolutely terrified of these scrub turkeys that were near the campsite. Yes. Because I just got it in my head that they were called scrub turkeys because they would come and try and scrub you out, and they had big claws, Steve. <laughs> big do. claws, and I was not. And I was not a big boy. <laughs> I was a very little lad. And I was just petrified that these scrub turkeys were just going to come and absolutely tear me to shreds. Mm. Did anyone ever point out the nests that scrub turkeys make to you? Well, that didn't matter, Steve. <laughs> You're putting facts in the story. It just didn't matter. Oh, no, no. The reason why I would have thought that would have fed into the mania. Because oh. those like huge humps of just debris and sticks and twigs and stuff, to a little lad as such as yourself back then would have looked like castles of doom. <laughs> like, like, seriously, where Skeletor wanted to get into. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I had no time for them whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, whenever, right. whenever, they, whenever they made an appearance, I was off into the, or, or my cousin's tent or into our van. I was like, nah, <laughs> tell me when they're gone. I'm done. Oh, I, I just love the things that we look at as, as young people, as kids, and go, no, nope, that's it. That's where the reality <laughs> ends. I'm out of here. Yeah, so very, very much. The cool thing about, like, return place holidays, and my wife had a similar kind of situation when they were living at um, Walker and Urala. Mm-hmm. Um, they regularly got given a week or two weeks or something over at somewhere somewhere similar on the coast, I think near Coffs Harbour. I was going to say, well, you'd, well from, from Walker, you'd almost head down to Port Macquarie or somewhere yeah. near there. Yeah. Somewhere around there, but they always went there. And they yep. stayed at these people's house and blah, blah, blah. But I remember as a, as a kid camping, we went to similar kind of thing, not always um, the same campsite, the camp, campsite within the, the, the camp, but certainly the same camp. You know, you got your favourites. And you, yep. you'd start up holiday friendships with kids. Mm, oh, yeah, we're playing with such and such from the tent down the road. And again, back in the day, it was like nobody knew who these people were. You didn't no. know who their parents were. You're going spending hours with these kids. They could have been a midget in disguise trying to groom you into coming back to the... could have been anything. You still went and did it, and you did crazy things like build walls out of sharp oyster rocks and all sorts of stuff. It was fun. Um, it so was. Oh, yeah. And the best part was, though, when you somehow managed to build, like, the seasonal relationships that maintain themselves. So you would hang out with these people this summer, and then come... And next summer, guess who's back? Yeah, that it's was It's the guys the from best. the place again. Always the best. And... and- when I, I hit about 12, um, I think Dad got sick of pulling the caravan and we ended up uh, buying a little Besser Brick place in, mm. in Yamba uh, as a holiday house. And so then that sort of thing about the seasonal friendships went, went through the roof because now, uh, according to the, the kids in my neighbourhood, even though I was not there for local. the bulk of the year, I was a local. Mm. So I got to come with them and do all their fun stuff. I didn't have... You know, like, they would literally be heaping abuse on the tourists while I was there with them, but I didn't count because you know I had a street address and they would come and hang. They would come and hang at my house, and I'd go hang out there. It was great, a very very good way to spend your teenage years in a a, a coastal town. That's for sure. And and it, well, that's becoming less and less, right? As of course the property market goes berserk oh. in some of these towns, right? Yeah, ludicrous. You you just the the idea. I mean, it, this was it was probably. Uh, Mid eighties, I think, when, when we bought that place, uh, and the the idea of getting something of of its size in a little coastal town today would just oh, I can't even imagine it. It would just completely unattainable. How <laughs> old do we sound? We sound oh, we positively well, we are. We're, we're over forty, mate. <laughs> no, I'm intrigued because mm-hmm. I did see some photos of the excursion La Mudgy at Gorkroja and. Mm. I need deets, Dave, because there was whiskey, it was frivolity, it sounded like a cracking time. It was good fun, well, because, so, you know, because we're old people and so many of our friends have kids, um, rather than uh, figure that that would make sort of a restaurant or a pub too hard, so we we hired Mm. a little hall. Nice. um, Where where we could sort of unleash the children, and um, and then, you know, we just settled in for... (laughs) We should have settled in for longer, as it turned out, because when it got to, got to the end of the night and a few people had to leave, and because you know some of them had to you know travel back the next day, and so everyone was cleaning up. And what we really should have done is gone. Okay, well, everyone who's leaving, goodbye, and the rest of us who want to party on, we'll just stay here, just with half a dozen chairs. Mm. Uh, 
but we didn't. Instead, what we did was, well, well, we'll all go back to the caravan park. Now, (laughs) yes. Now, this is where it gets even sillier. Once we got got back to the caravan park, what we should have said is, well, uh, you guys have actually got a cabin and no kids in it, so those of us who want to stay up should go in there. It's got an air conditioner. It's got lights. (laughs) It'll contain the noise. We should have done that. But we didn't. (laughs) We sat around... We sat around in the camp kitchen until someone in a tent nearby came over and said, really, come on, I'm sure you're all having a lovely time, but it's just this is too much. And we apologised politely, and we moved our seats back over. Uh, again, not going to, into anyone's cabin. We just hopped underneath the annex of my caravan, which, <laughs> in fairness, was only about another 30 metres away. Oh, made it no better. And we... we look, listen, we got to... Be, we all went to bed by two. Um, <laughs> um, and the next day, the the, uh, the caravan park owner did come over and tell us that he was the fun police and asked whether that was all the partying that was going to happen. And we, yes, all, we're, we're all done now. He's like, good, that's fine. Don't let it happen again. Yep, no worries. Uh, that was, it, was, it, was, look, it was an old people's party. We sat all around and we, we reminisced and... Um, it, like for those of us who knew we weren't going to be driving home in the next mm. day, we we drank more than we probably have in a long, long time. And oh. We finished off with some, I say, yeah, finished off with some some Japanese whiskey that I hadn't tried before, and and spent the day after my birthday with a bit of a sore head. But yeah, well, I think it was worthwhile. <laughs> Although, actually, funny enough, the, the night before we had a we had a really cool experience. So just as we were walking around town, we, the a couple of days before, we found this little sort of art studio, this groovy little with a like cafe sort of at the front, and uh, just a really interesting space. And got, we, got, uh, we got talking with the when I say we, Rach got talking with the guy <laughs> who owns the place and asking how it all comes about. And he started telling about all the stuff that they did. And one of the things he said that they do is like art classes for groups. He said, "Oh, we've done you know uh, wine wine nights, and we've done uh, like a whiskey and watercolors night." And my ears sort of oh. just pricked up. Hello, and uh, and, and he sort of then asked why we were there, and we told the story about the birthday party. He's like, "Oh, it's such a pity we couldn't have organised something like this for you." We're like, "Yeah, yeah, it is." He goes, "Oh," he said, "How about I make a few calls?" He said, "How many people do you think we could get?" We said, "Oh, probably six or eight. And he's like, "Oh, that'll do." Uh, and it turned out we we, we got uh, about a dozen, and he put on uh, an evening where we had a fellow there uh, introducing us to a whole different range of whiskies and giving us tasting notes and bits. Oh. And then in between that, we had uh, Wok, the guy who owned the art space, uh, teaching us how to do some some sketching and water inks and watercolours. And Christ. we felt we felt very grown up, Steve. Very grown up. Well, that, that sounds amazing. It was cool. Very was cool. anybody any good at it? Oh, there were a few people. I wasn't one of them. <laughs> I, I, I made plenty. Oh, look, I made plenty of things on the on a, on the page, and, mm. and some of them were even roughly the same shape uh, as the things I was looking at on the table that I was supposed to be drawing. Good. Um, but we did have some very talented people amongst us. Um, and, and you know what? I think maybe if they had drunk a bit less whiskey, they might have even been more talented again. But that wasn't <laughs> the point of the evening. That wasn't the point. <laughs> it starts the night as, hey, that's really good, to later on, you people make me sick. <laughs> you talent and awesome. stuff. That sounds really cool. Now, had did you obviously kept your piece that you created pieces? I, I do. Uh, they're they're um, we we did bring them home. They're they're often, often one of the cupboards somewhere. They they're, they're certainly not um, put that up on the wall quality. I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll say that much. But it's good. It, it's funny. It's one of those things where. Like I love to doodle. I really, really love to doodle, and I, and mm. I can like just fill pages with with all these you know, fairly random shapes and shading bits and pieces. Um, and yet, I still have that mental block of oh, well, I can't draw. What I mean is, I can't make something look exactly like it is the way that I see it, and so I give up on the first try. Uh, but I think that so many of us are like that. Like it, it's at some level that sort of drawing is such a natural thing to do, and yet we just get all self-conscious and go, oh, I can't do that. I found a little sketchbook yeah. uh, uh, that has had a few bits and pieces where we used to just do some pen sketches in it when, I, when we were travelling. And, like, the last page that I'd done in there 
was from a trip that we did about six or seven years ago. And you sort of go, I really should do that more often. You know, if you, if you want to say, I'd like to get good at this, you actually need to do it. Yeah. But I don't. No, I, and I, like, I struggle with that as well in that I, you know, your mandatory art classes in grade, what, seven, maybe grade eight, were the death of me. Because it was like, I can't, I can't do, it wasn't that I totally resigned myself to be creative, but I will offer that that was before I discovered music in any proper way. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I probably, I can't create this, I just like maths. Um, so we had to do clay and we had to paint things and we had whatever. I, I, I honestly, I will offer that if there was, a, you know, a classification for some kind of, you know, Steve's a slow kid or, you know, they had suffered. If we can give some kind of diagnosis around what my mental condition is, it's that I have no understanding of how colors work together. I see them all. I know yeah. what looks good to me. But yep. if somebody said to me, here, can you draw this? Or even, I, and I have to do a lot of this, design, make this, put titles here, do this colour thing, something. No, nah, nah, nothing, no idea. Yeah, see, it, 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 it's funny though, because as you point out, you know, you are a muse. And whereas with me, uh, that's something where I, I really struggle. Like over the years I've had um, music lessons, you know, guitar lessons and taught myself mm. a bit of stuff on the ukulele. And... And I get it. And if I practice regularly, um, you know, I, I can physically go through the motions of making the guitar make some, you know, some nice sounds and play along with some songs. And yet, one of the things that I, you know is fairly elemental to being able to play a song, like remembering a chord progression, cannot. I cannot make a chord progression stay in my head. Like just mm. if I have it written there in front of me, I'm fine. Uh, but like I come back to that a couple of days later like no matter how many times I've practiced it it's just gone and I wonder what like what it is that wires us in different ways where like there are ridiculously long unix commands that I can remember that I use once every six months but <laughs> yes but but some but a chord progression like for a song a song that I know and that I played a week ago forget it I, I could maybe tell you what three of the four chords like main chords in the song are but try to put them in order no this doesn't work. Someone should do some research into the brain, I reckon. Yeah, someone um, should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, what a pity that the world has like decided that science funding is no longer a thing that any Western nation does. Oh, and scientists can't <laughs> talk about it. Gag order on scientists. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, I See, I, you're right. I reflect on that and go, it's kind of the same thing. And I don't know if it's just that I haven't stretched the right mental muscles. Or, or whatever, because I've, you know, breadth and depth, lots of different experiences, because of lots of different work, lots of things I've had to know, lots of things I've learned, and I'm, I still really enjoy learning things, though, and I'll put this down to being an old fart now, I'm selective about the things I like to learn, because some things I look at them and go, no, nah, that's it, I'm, I'm out, I don't want to learn that, or... But I say that in part in jest, because I then see that as a challenge. Well, actually, no, I do need to learn what that is or how that works or the stuff I need to do to interact with that because otherwise I'll be as bad as my parents that just went, no, don't get it, don't understand it. Oh, that looks nice, dear. Um, And I don't want that to be the case. I mean, the the flip side on your chord progression thing is that when I play at church, I have this... I think it's a self-discipline, though I, I think back to some of my past experiences and mentors and leaders and stuff that kind of, I think, have encouraged me, pushed me into it. Church music in and of itself is reasonably straightforward. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's too big gymnastically when it comes to, oh, now you've got to know this diminished sharp seventh chord that then, like, it's not jazz. Standard church worship music is pretty straight up. A's, E's, D's, there'll be an F sharp minor, something, that kind of thing. Um, but I set myself the challenge, and this might also be repetition of how often we play them, that when I play particularly guitar, and especially when I'm leading, there's no music in front of me. Like, I've... Because I, I don't want the music stand to be another thing that stands between me and the people that I'm supposed to be leading or, you know, involved with and connected that are sitting down in the chairs. Yep. Um, yep. And you already have a microphone, and, and in the old days you used to have a fallback wedge. Now it's in-ears and stuff. And to put a mic stand... Uh, to put a, um, a music stand there, while practical, just always to me was like, no, nah, that's not trying hard enough. Like, there's no way you can really 
part of me really connect with people. It's, it's not just that. It's like if you went along to and you know, I know it's not quite the same environment as uh, going along to a gig on a Saturday night. But if you like pulled into your favourite music venue, mm-hmm. paid the cover charge, went to see the band. And the first thing they did was all stand up in front of their music stands. You would, it'd be like that scene in the Blues Brothers where oh. people start throwing beer bottles at them, just going, Kit, what are you doing? Oh, the reverse, right? You two are about to tour the Joshua Tree, you know, yes. as, as a 25th anniversary or whatever, 100th anniversary of the album. Couldn't remember it? Yeah, yeah, they, they all walk out, music stands. Oh, no. Now, if we want no. to push through the veil a little bit, if you're ready for this, it is not yeah. an uncommon occurrence in particularly big concerts and particularly for our older artists, I'm not going to mention any names, Mm. Stones, um, (laughs) that the words are projected on a screen either at their feet in what looks like a fallback wedge or on a big screen back next to where the PA desk is. (laughs) Like, I'm deadly, deadly serious. This is, some singers say it is a hard thing. I can't remember all the words. And look, for someone like a Tom Jones, I get it, you know, where they've been singing for 50, 60 years of their lives. They've put out umpteen albums, blah, blah, blah. That can, that can be a tough thing. Um, for your fly by night, I've been here on X Factor and this is my first album tour. Nah, sorry kids, you've got to know all the chords, all the words, and don't even for a second tell me that they're on a monitor there. Absolutely. Just sing the songs. <laughs> dance monkey dance. <laughs> 100%. So yeah, when I play, it's like, no, no, I don't want to have this. So I, I have this thing where I want to learn the chords and also am trying to encourage the others around. No, no, if you know the music don't have it as a crutch because then if we need to change gears or do something or go to a different part of the song and you're going, oh, I don't know what, what part we're in now, but no, that's right, this starts with this quarter, I've got to go there, then that's going to be heaps easier for all of us to move down that path. It, it, the other thing that gets under my skin about this, and I'm, I'm hijacking it, Dave, I'm sorry. No, no, you go right ahead. At, uh, at church, we have um, projected on the back wall, similar kind of thing. We have... A bit of a, it's sort of like a run sheet or it's, it's like it shows the words to the songs so the singers can look up and if they're not sure the words, they're there. Mm-hmm. But then it also shows, all right, so now we're doing the this, the announcements are on or the sermon's on, blah, blah, blah. So at any one time, anybody on stage can be looking at the screen at the back and see what's going on and even see the next thing. So, right, we know that this is on now. The next thing up is a prayer. Excellent. It absolutely gets under my skin that so many of the people at our church who lead the singing are involved in that regard have to have the words in a freaking book in front of them. (laughs) And I've watched them and 90% of the time they never even look at it. But they still have to have it there like this crutch. And if I say, hey, how about you put that over to the side and if you need it, there's that thing up the back and oh but it, it's gonna it'll stop and it won't go right well guess what if that work fails over to the side there is your book you can just walk over there and get it that won't be the end of the world now will it oh you would think i just asked them to get up and to cross the middle of the desert for 40 days and 40 oh my goodness <laughs> people don't like change Stephen. people don't like oh, change. this is why these are young people <laughs> this, is, this is why this is, it doesn't matter. This is why like, my family caravan in the same like we stayed in the same spot in a caravan park for ten years because <laughs> people don't like change. And at that point, you know, my parents were still you know, relatively young at that stage. They were, would have only been in their thirties. But no, we have that, that's our spot. Oh. And, and you know, I, I and, and that wasn't just in caravan, but, but that was everything. I mean, that was that was seventies and earlier. You know, dad stuff too. Dad's chair. Dad's chair it's at the table. Zones, right? Dad. Dad's chair at, in the couch. Mm. Dad's. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, oh, and, and I can't throw stones because I'm so one. Like my my entire life has been about comfort zones. It's been what? What's the path of least resistance here? That that <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> I mean, ah, oh, like <laughs> just so the. Like there are so few points in my life that I can actually pinpoint where I go. I'm going to go away from that bad decision, mm. not primarily because I see it as bad per se, but I can see that it's actually so easy that if I do go down that path, I will just like it'll be like going down the flume ride at SeaWorld. I will just <laughs> perpetually go in that direction because it'll become really, really easy. So 
for the time being, I'm just going to divert, like, not a lot, but just a little bit, just to, to make sure I, I don't do that. Uh, because in almost everything else, like deciding where will I go, what job will I do, what you know, what will I do at uni, everything. It's just like, oh, well, if I, if I just do this really obvious thing that's right in front of me, there we go. Like, you know, like the old proverb about the, the path left travel. It's like, well, you know what, mate? I'm the one who's making sure everyone knows where the path is. <laughs> Big I'm neon sign. Stom- I'm stomping it down. Just <laughs> No one's going to get confused. <laughs> There's a traveled path there. It must be safe. It must be. <laughs> so I'm the wrong person to complain about comfort zones. See, I'm, I think that the psychiatric term for me is shit stirrer. Um, in that I particularly in church circles, because I I have grown up in them my entire life. And that's why the job that I'm in now is absolutely perfect for me, because while my official job title says Digital Youth Discipleship Project Officer, it should just say shit stirrer. Um, (laughs) Because I, I get to now be the advocate for young people in church, and particularly in the church organization that I work for, there's not a whole bunch of them. Uh, and that's part of why they want someone in this role to try and help there be more of them. Um, in in the broadest kind of terms that we're looking at, I mean, it's not my direct job to go around knocking at doors, but it's to encourage the people who are doing the face-to-face stuff with young people and help resource them and make that go and help them think about different ways they can do it. Um, I have many clear memories of... It's almost like, you know, the guy that just sits on the side of the hall and the meeting's happening and everyone's doing stuff... And then just sticks up his hand right about the time when they're about to vote on and agree on the thing that they've laboured over for 45 minutes. Sticks his hand up and says, hey, um, have you thought about this? Because it doesn't sound like you have. And all of a sudden there's this crestfallen groan. It's like, oh, now we have to talk about this more. Oh, we'd forgotten about this thing. We were trying to avoid that thing that he just brought up. Why did he bring up that thing that he just brought up? He's such a pain in the bum. Um, just to challenge people. See, I was not really like that until about oh, it was about 12 when I was in year 7 mm-hmm. like, in year 7 I had a fantastic uh, English teacher Miss Wharton and Miss Wharton I- introduced us to debating now I'd already done oh. a bit of public speaking yep. in in uh, in primary school and I was you know, reasonably good at that but debating I was actually very good at that. I was very good at standing up with very little preparation. Excellent, yes. Tearing strips off the, the other side's mm. arguments and whatnot. So um, so all throughout high school, and that became a, a, a point of pride. That became like my thing. I, you know, I was always on the debating team and always, always the third speaker. And, yes. Uh, and, and, I, and I really, really loved that. But that really unlocked in me that like contrarian, I'm just going to throw a rhetorical hand grenade in here and let's see what happens. <laughs> Um, <laughs> My learned colleague suggests <laughs> laughingly. Hey, oh, <laughs> oh no! What was, what was my favourite one? Was I? Uh the misunderstanding that seems to have gone throughout the entire group over to my right is that. <laughs> yes. But, but 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 I know that you collectively are far far smarter than that, and that's why none of you will be convinced by such a ridiculous assertion. Oh yeah, that's that's the hook for oh. particularly a third speaker. Hang crap on the other side, and then tell the collective audience that they're smarter than that. You are way too smart. Yeah. So so anyway, so so it was Miss Wharton's fault really that I didn't. Yeah, I did. I I was then, as I said, throwing rhetorical hand grenades and and. And, and like in some ways it served me well, and in lots of ways it didn't. Uh, <laughs> like it's, it's taken me another twenty something years to learn. You know, maybe I should just shut up now. Just you know, <laughs> just, just, just just shut up. Is there any value to what you're about to say, Dave? No. Uh, How did you not end up in politics, Dave? Because you know what, I have a horrible. I, I, I here's the thing. I have this really unfortunate clash in terms of personality traits. In that uh, I have, uh, I have delusions of grandeur about my own capacity, <laughs> yes. but also like really low self-esteem. <laughs> and and it, and if it just doesn't sound like those two things should go together, they probably shouldn't, but they kind of do. And so while in and, and so while I'm always being going, oh, I, all I need is a chance to prove how awesome I am. I'm just never going to put myself out of there because I was like, oh, what if what if it turns out I'm actually not awesome? You just um, described the leader of the Nationals. 
Um, but uh, he doesn't suffer from low self-esteem. Low capability, maybe, but not low self-esteem. Um, oh, come on now. I remember seeing Barnaby Joyce on that very first Senate ticket when he was running as a partner to Senator Ron Boswell. Mm. His first step in when he was just a, a farmer out near Roma. He was trying to have a he swing. He wasn't a real farmer. He was an accountant. He was a farmer out near Roma, was what it said on the thing. <laughs> of course it did. And uh, he didn't look overly confident, let me tell you that right now. It's, yeah. all, it's anyway. all bluster. Yeah, but, see, but, but anyway, what it all comes back to is, I, I really don't like people being upset with me or, or angry with me or not liking me at all. I, like, I do not have that, uh, oh. that, t- that tough skin that just lets stuff bounce off. Uh, yep. To, to the point where people who I disagree with and think are, are doing things that are really, really wrong, I still don't want them to think that I'm, that, that I'm not a good, good person. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want them to think badly of me. Like, I, I want to tell them that they're wrong, and I'm happy to do that and disagree with them, but it's got to be polite, and I, just, I, would, not have, I, I would not have the, the, the guts for, for politics. I would be absolutely shredded in about three seconds. It, it, like, it, at uni... Um, I kind of hung out with some of the the young Labor people. Yes. Uh, but whenever they were doing something that I thought was dodgy, I would call them out on it. Good. And, and oh, but no, they thought it was horrid. Yeah, they, of course they, they did. I was, the, I was the worst kind of person. Like, I remember that they oh, when I was on student radio, uh, they pulled something where... So there was a majority young Labor uh, student... Uh, the student association, because Armadale had a, the student union and the student association were separate things at that stage. Yes. So the student association was predominantly uh, young labour, but uh, a lib somehow ended up as the student association president because it was sort of like elected separately. So they tried to make his life hard. He tried to make their life hard, and eventually they ran a meeting without him, changed all the locks at the student association <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. Um, yeah, just cut him out completely. Uh, and the way that they'd done it um, was really dicey. And, I, and uh, at that stage, I was already in Apex. So I knew stuff about meeting procedure and what you yep. could and couldn't, like, well, in theory, the stuff that you should or shouldn't do. Yes. So I, I did an interview with um, the the ousted president uh, to tell his side of the story and, and ran that on the radio. And the young Labour people oh. were furious with me. Like, I was just the worst scum ever. Ever we look at you being you a journalist on our side. Yep. Anyway, uh, and and look at that time. I thought, no, look, I've I've told the straight story. You guys are just being jerks. But even so, I wasn't happy about the fact that they were that they were unhappy with me. It was like, oh, so no, I just like I I never signed up for um, well, never I never have signed up for a um. A political party. I've helped out with some independents with their campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, I've handed out how to vote cards, and you know, that, you know that's. But that's like the, like the most involved I ever got in a campaign was, you know, doing a bunch of scrutineering and helping out like within the campaign. Um, back in ninety nine, uh, ninety nine New South Wales state election for a uh, an independent candidate here in Albury. Uh, Actually, no, I did. I stood for council once. I forgot. <gasps> really? Yeah. No, I, I forgot. I was, I was at the bottom of the ticket. You know. You're like, never what? getting in. Bottom no, of the ticket. No, there was no chance of that. I was, I was at the bottom of the ticket. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so, and even that was, yeah, you know, someone wrote, uh, oh, a local, who was it? Actually, it's the guy who's now um, Susan Lay's media guy, Steve Block. He used to Great. be on the radio and on uh, Prime News, I think, down here. Um, he'd written something being you know, really dismissive of all the people who are on the bottom of the tickets and how they're only there to make, you know, because the ticket system works. And I wrote a letter back in the uh, to the paper saying, no, look, some of us are actually really committed to the ideas of the, the people we're standing with and we, mm. you know, we want to do things for the community. And so then he rings me up and goes, all right, let's have a chat on the radio. And I'm petrified, just going, oh, my God, oh. Steve Blog doesn't like me. And anyway, as it was, we had a, a really nice chat. He's, uh, you know, the, the, in the times where I've crossed his path, he's always been a very nice guy. But, yeah, I was just petrified, Steve, that, you know, that someone 
yeah, the 27 people who are still listening to 2AY. <laughs> because... Because the knobs have fallen off their AM oh. radio, off, the, off their, their transistor. Yeah. Uh, m- might think that uh, Steve thought poorly of me and that, and that would reflect on me badly. Yeah, no, I'm, I am so not cut out for politics at all. Not even, not even remotely. Uh, no. <laughs> Cannot. Wow. One of the great dichotomies of my life is, despite loving being a shit stirrer, is that I absolutely, absolutely am deathly just horribly uh, concerned or upset when I think I've upset someone. Yes, that's it. It's exactly it. Like in, in a real tangible way, not in a, oh, they're upset because I made them do some work or think about what they're supposed to do or understand that their job is you know, bigger than what they said it was. No, no, when someone's actually offended, I'm like, oh man, what have I done? How do I fix this? I need to fix this now. Yep. We, we, we're just too nice for this world, Steve. Too nice. You know it. No one else <laughs> recognises it. No, and this is the thing. See, this is the thing. All of the, all that we need, Steve, is someone of incredible power and influence to just notice how nice we are and just lay out enormous opportunities for us. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's not enough that we're, it's not enough that we're born, you know, uh, uh, white males in a privileged Western nation. <laughs> no, we we need someone to just spot us from across the room, like like in a. A, a teen romance movie and go you you're what we need exactly <laughs> no. you're exactly the thing we've been missing yeah uh, that i mean uh, why, why couldn't life be like that <laughs> well it is for some people that's the scary thing oh I, like yeah that, i guess so there's two uh, well all right this this could get controversial i know that you'll understand the direction i'm coming from mm. there are a couple of young ladies who have just scored just in the last three to six months uh, a permanent radio gig, I think up here in Brisbane. Um, but they're, they're the next big thing for Southern Cross Austereo and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And when they were launching, oh, these two girls and blah, blah, blah. Um, they've got a great blog. Right. That doesn't, necess- that doesn't necessarily translate to radio, does it? Well, apparently it turns out they might have done some podcasting here and there, but nothing serious. They had a lot of Instagram followers because they're both red hot. Like, it's... It just disappointed me that here are two people who, look, they may be great, they may understand radio, and radio is a dying art and all of those sorts of things. But that they just go, here's a great opportunity to have a national radio audience just wow. because you wrote some words that we went, hey, they're really talented. Please. <laughs> well, look, Smack me in the face with a vanilla slice. Well, at least they're doing it for some young women rather than it being the usual that thing. That is of just, of just absolutely... Going, going, Here's a bloke who was drunk at a pub where some of our uh, our sales staff usually go. Let's get him on air. I mean, oh so. yeah, let's get him to host the block for eight seasons. <laughs> you know that's how it happened, right? So you know, you know no, that's how I that happened for that. Scott Cam. He was I'd... legit at a pub. A producer says, "Hey, we're auditioning for this show. Have you thought about this?" Like he's a chippy by trade, still does it. Yeah. Um, you should come and check this out. Come and come and be a part of this. Oh, I don't know, make up this TV luck, blah, blah, blah. Of course, the camera loved him. Of course, he was right at that, that phase where we we're transitioning from reasonably stiff hosts to you knock about Larrikin, and we've now got too many of them, so we need to sort of flip it back a little bit, producers. Um, and, and yeah, so sort of the rest is history. Same with Chris Brown. A guy came up to him and said, hey, look, we'd really love to talk to you. We think you've got just the look we're after for this new show. Oh, you're a vet, even better. Um, the rest is history. Like, it's crazy talk the way, and dare I say it, some of the laziness that happens around the <laughs> way people find these opportunities where had they not gone to the pub that afternoon, no Bondi vet, no Scotty Cam, no gold Logie winning Scotty Cam. That's that's a phrase. Mm. It's up there with President Trump, that phrase. <laughs> no one ever expected to say those, those words. Well, the difference being that Channel 9 can't buy you a presidency. Oh, well, see, that's where you're very wrong. <laughs> They just haven't started trying yet. <laughs> oh, they don't have the money that they used to, do they? Oh, oh. Well, who knows? You know, oh, big big daddy's moved out and they got a new guy in charge and he's trying to cut costs. It's a whole other podcast. Hmm. Dave, I am uh, in awe of your 40th birthday celebrations. They sounded amazing. Oh, it was good. The best part of it was we got my daughter a few years ago a little Instamatic, like Polaroid Great. camera. For, for Christmas one year. So we, we snatched that with us and grabbed a whole bunch of film and, and ran around all night like taking photos with that. Yeah. Um, 
And the the amount of joy that that gave all of us, like pulling out these tiny little Polaroids as opposed <laughs> to just sort of flipping over our phones and going, oh, yeah, um, was enormous. And, and uh, Rach has sort of blue-tacked them all up on one of the walls oh. in the house at the moment just for the time being. Awesome. Uh, and it is. It, it's incredible, you know, that... Uh, Something that, like, let's be honest, like, Polaroids were on their way out even when we were kids. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 100%. They, they, it, you know, the, the time of the one-hour photo uh, processing place had already started emerging by then. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was nice. It was, it was good. good. See, it's time with people you like. It's always good. It's why I like calling you, Steve. It's yeah. Nice. It's nice spending time with people you like. It totally is, Dave. And the... The distance that separates us is weighing heavily on my shoulders. Oh, we'll see if we can do something about that. I've got a caravan now. I can I can travel north. You can go anywhere. How big? How big's your driveway? Not that big. Ah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but the, the front yard, to be fair, could host a caravan for a couple of days. Ooh, all right. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> Don't tell my parents that. We've never said that that's possible. <laughs> no photographic evidence. <laughs> no. Not until at least one of them has sadly passed away. Oh, dear. Uh. <laughs> Dave, we need to reconvene. Morbid. It's <laughs> getting out of control. <laughs> I was going to say, it's getting really dark all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The next question from death is, so what's happening for you in the next 12 months? Well, I've got this thing happening in my lower duodenum and blah, blah, blah. Uh, all right. Well, you take care. I'll, Thanks, I'll, Dave. I'll, I'll catch up with you later. Cheers. Bye.